Good morning. Over the next five weeks, I am going to advocate for a revolution. Not a political one, though the revolution I am advocating may have effects in politics. Not a social one, though it could change the fabric of society. Not a cultural one, though it could change our culture. What I'm going to suggest is a revolution of influence. A revolution of influence. What I mean is this. It seems that the church has begun to lose its footing when trying to figure out how to speak into the challenges of our time. This is especially true up here in the Northeast. There may be other pockets of our country where this is less true, but certainly in the Northeast, the church has, does not hold that much clout. I've been pastoring again with you for about two months, and I'd like to report to you the number of times a reporter has called me and asked for the Christian opinion on some issue. Are you ready? Zero. I know it's hard to believe. It's shocking. The fact of the matter is the Christian opinion on matters of the world is not a concern of the world. They're not all that interested in what we have to say. And this wasn't always the case. There was a time when the Christian opinion or the Christian insight was actually sort of respected and valued and even sought out. You wanted to know what the community pastor had to say about this. You would ask the priest or you'd ask the minister for the Christian opinion. Not so much today. I'm afraid that the church has begun to lose its voice. Perhaps we've been depending too much on the symbolic places we've been holding in the public sphere. Ten Commandments in the courthouse, prayers before graduation. Perhaps we've depended too much on those things to be our voice. But those things are simply symbols. They're not a voice. Over the past month, the Wilmington City Council has been dealing with the question of whether or not to start city council meetings with a prayer. Up until this past January, they opened each city council meeting with a very, very generic Christian prayer. But it was Christian, but very, very generic Christian. At the beginning of January, it was passed that they would begin with a moment of silence instead of prayer. According to the news journal, there was outrage over this decision. And so most recently, they've decided to replace the moment of silence with a non-denominational, non-religiously specific prayer to some universal being. That's neither here nor there. I want to go to the fact that were there, in fact, Christians outraged by this? And if those Christians were outraged by it, I can almost guarantee that those who were outraged by it were ones who have never, ever been to a Wilmington City Council meeting to wisely input the voice of Christianity into the issues. We get all upset about the symbols being lost, but the symbols aren't the same as a voice. We confuse sometimes symbolic presence with an actual voice, with actual influence. And so I want us to recover this ability. I want us to recover the ability to be influential in people's lives. And we're not shy about our desire to do this. 
We're not shy about our simple desire to, be, to say when people interact with us, we want them to be better for it. This is not anything we're ashamed of. When you're in your workplace and someone enters your office, you would like them to be a better person for having been with you that day. I mean, isn't that kind of even what we're saying to each other? Don't we look at our own community and kind of say to each other, like, influence me for the better? Influence me. Make me a better person. That's why we build these friendships and build this community, because we want to be people who influence other people for the good. So how might we bring about this revolution of influence? I suggest that in today's America, especially in the Northeast, that this revolution may very well be rooted in Christians rediscovering wisdom. That the revolution of influence, I think, is tied into a revolution of wisdom. And this may be part of the diagnosis of why we've lost our voice, and that is because Christianity and wisdom are not necessarily associated with each other. Why listen to Christians, people will say. They're no wiser than anybody else. And too often, we're not. But we ought to be. People should say, let's find a Christian to talk to. They're wise. I need to spend hardly any time pointing out how our public dialogue lacks wisdom. Especially with social media and the ability to post your thoughts without filter. The decline of wisdom, I would say, in the last 15 years has been rapid like this kind of rapid, like roller coaster at Six Flags rapid. I mean, I know that some of you can scroll through many screens of Facebook before you would find a post that you would call wise. Maybe, maybe hours and hours of scrolling before you find a post that you would consider wise. But wisdom is not only lacking in the private sphere, it lacks in the, in the private sphere as well. We all long for wisdom. We all long for good advice and good input for our marriages, for our work, for our family lives, for raising kids, for being friends, for falling in love. We all desire wisdom in these areas. We all desire good influence in these areas. We all want meaningful input into how to live well and work well and love well. But it can be hard to find. And so I'm advocating a revolution of wisdom for the next five weeks. I'm going to be a revolutionary. Or I'm a regular Patrick Henry up here. Those of you who remember history class. I'm not going out on a limb with this, though. We're going to be studying the book of Proverbs, and the book of Proverbs sets itself up as a revolutionary um, book of advice. The promises that the book of Proverbs makes for what life can look like when oriented around wisdom, the promises are extreme. And so we're going to start in Proverbs 1, 1 through 7. If you have a Bible nearby, go ahead and grab that or on your device. The book of Proverbs is the Bible's preeminent book of wisdom, and just today we're just going to look at this sort of introduction, the first seven verses. The Proverbs of Solomon, 
son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. I've titled this teaching series for the next five weeks, Street Smarts. And I use that idiom because it captures in a modern lingo what I think is one of the root aspects of wisdom. Now, of course, the literal idea behind street smarts, when you say, oh, that person has street smarts, of course, the origin is that you could literally sort of navigate the literal streets of a city safely. Street smarts. You had the wherewithal to figure something out. So it's usually, it's usually compared to book smarts, and it's usually negative. If somebody has book smarts and not street smarts, you kind of say it negatively, right? Uh, he's, just, he's just got book smarts. Don't give him the keys. He's got no street smarts at all whatsoever. And they're probably not as opposed to each other. There's probably a, a marriage between book smarts and street smarts. But street smarts, like wisdom, is applied knowledge. You take those book smarts and you apply it to things that are important. And then you get street smarts or you get wisdom. Street smarts allows you to understand the environment, see dangers, Make good decisions all while not freaking out. Because someone who has street smarts is chill, right? They can handle it without freaking out. And because of these character traits, being able to understand the environment, see dangers, solve problems, and make good decisions without freaking out... The, the idea of street smarts is, is an idiom that's not only tied to the streets. So you can have somebody going into like a high-level board meeting, and somebody can be like, oh, I'm worried about her. And then the coworker says, she'll do fine. She has street smarts. And they're not saying she can navigate Fifth Avenue, right? They're saying that she has the wherewithal that in this situation she can think on her feet, she can solve the problems that are brought to her, and she can do it all without... Freaking out. She is said to have street smarts. So wisdom, I think, is something more than street smarts, but it is certainly nothing less than street smarts. And notice how these opening verses suggest that wisdom is the application of knowledge to some important issues of our world. Justice, righteousness, and equity. Can you imagine What would happen if wisdom were applied to the areas of justice, morality, righteousness, and equity? I'm not exaggerating when I say wisdom can bring revolution. But there are so few wise voices in these areas. The wisdom portrayed in this introduction and throughout Proverbs is not the wise sage on top of the mountain. You know that like cartoon picture of wisdom? There's some poor sap who's like climbing the mountain and he reaches to the guy at the top. It's this really old, old, old guy. And you ask him your life question. 
and he offers you wisdom. It may, I mean, it may have been that way in the past. We have Google now, so that trip is kind of irrelevant, I guess. But he's not portrayed in Proverbs. Wisdom is not portrayed in Proverbs as the wise sage on the mountaintop that offers mysterious advice to the person who manages to climb there. In Proverbs, wisdom brings its voice to the street, to the marketplace, to the classroom, to the family, to the workplace. Wisdom is applied Look at verse 4. Wisdom gives prudence to the simple. That word prudence is a very interesting one. It's not the only time it's used in Scripture. Its first use in Scripture is Genesis chapter 3, when the Bible says, there was a serpent in the garden more crafty than any other beast of the field. That's the same word there as it is in Proverbs. Crafty. There is a sense where wisdom is shrewd. Wisdom understands nuance. Wisdom is savvy. It's not naive. Now, I'm not saying that we are shrewd in the deceptive way or the duplicitous way. But we have street smarts. Thousands of years later, in Matthew 10, Jesus sends out his disciples. And this is, this is Jesus' commissioning statement to his disciples. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Now, none of you live on farms with sheep. This is not an encouragement. When Jesus says, I am sending you to sheep among wolves, the disciples rightly probably had their eyes pop open going, oh, that's That's interesting. But he follows it up with this encouragement. I am sending you as sheep among wolves, therefore be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. There is a shrewdness to wisdom. There is a depth to wisdom. There is a strategy to wisdom. There is a thoughtfulness to wisdom. There is a nuance to wisdom. Street smarts. Verses 5 and 6, we see wisdom is applied, that it offers guidance and helps us solve the riddles of life. Wisdom is knowledge with hands and feet. Wisdom is knowledge that dives into the fray of justice, that dives into the fray of righteousness, that dives into the fray of equity, that dives into the fray of family problems, that dives into the fray of relational problems. But it does so with savviness. Any of us can dive into the fray. This is Facebook, right? Everyone dives into the fray. But who does it with the savviness of wisdom? That's what we need to be. People with wisdom. Secondly, looking from the overall, looking at the overall flow of the passage, we see that wisdom requires time. Wisdom requires time. I'm going to say that wisdom loiters. Wisdom loiters. Loitering, growing up, loitering was not a word that I came across very much. And I actually, this is weird, but I actually have a memory of the first time I interacted with the word loitering. And I didn't get arrested for it, if that's what you're wondering. The story's not that interesting. 
I went to school about 25 minutes away from my house, which means from, uh, the, from kindergarten to eighth grade, I rode the bus. And if you know, if the school's 25 minutes away, your bus ride is like an hour. So after nine years of that, I was ready for when my sister got her license. She was a senior, I was a freshman, and she drove me to school each day. That has its own set of stories and challenges for another time. But then she went off to college. I couldn't drive to my junior year, and I had this sophomore year. And my parents said, I guess you have to get back on the bus. Well, when you are 16 years old, and you've already done the bus thing for nine years, you beg. You throw yourself on the kitchen floor, and you beg for parental mercy. Is there any way, any way that you could take me to school? One year, and then I'll be able to drive just one year. So my dad, in his graciousness, decided that he would take me to school each day. I would get home, ride home uh, after practice with um, carpools. But he drove me each day. And the ritual became as we would stop at 7-Eleven, he would get coffee, I would get a snack. And on the side of this 7-Eleven, I mean, it was a sign about the size of the wall. A white sign with red letters that said, No loitering. And I'm pretty sure that for the first stretch of time, I thought it said no littering, but but that's a different thing. And so I asked my dad what was loitering, and he said, oh, well, you're not allowed to hang out. And he said it like that, like the negative hangout, like hang out, you know, people hanging out. It's like, no, I don't know, but it sounds bad, so I won't do it. Loitering, of course, there's cities and municipalities and laws against loitering. You can't hang out. Just move it along. Move it along. Loitering is not generally a word used in the positive context. And historically, laws about loitering have been abused in dealing with everything from protests to homelessness to race. So loitering laws can get a little funky. But the idea of loitering doesn't have to be a bad one. So let me put it in a positive context. We were walking down Main Street, and we loitered in front of many of the windows. Or, my family left the beach at four, but I loitered for another couple hours. So there can be loitering in a positive sense, because the idea of loitering does, just doesn't mean hanging out. It can mean hanging out. <laughs> like, you can loiter in a good way in a positive way. Loitering simply means to take your time. Take your time. Move slowly. Meander. One of the synonyms is to putter. I'm not sure if that's very encouraging, but that's the idea, to putter. And when you look at the verbs used in this passage, all of them give the sense of time spent. To know, to understand, to receive instruction to increase in learning, to understand riddles. All of these have the sense of time spent. Wisdom is just this very thing. Wisdom takes time. It putters. It meanders. It loiters. You do not get the feeling from this passage that wisdom is instantaneous. None of you should get the feeling of this passage that you came in without wisdom, but when I'm done, you're going to have it. 
good for you. None of us is snapping our fingers and getting wisdom. And this is a problem for us. And by us, I mean like our culture, you and me. Waiting, not a strong point. Waiting, taking things slow, not a strong point. I'm going to make a confession. I will, this is my confession, I'm, I'm being honest with you. I will sometimes eat leftovers that are half cold because I don't want to wait for another 30 seconds in the microwave. You've all done this. You can deny it, but you've done it. I will eat a piece of lasagna that is refrigerator cold in the middle because I don't want to get up to the microwave and wait another 30 seconds. And I figure it's already been cooked once. It won't kill me, right? You do that calculation in your head, right? All right, it's already been cooked, so it's not really deadly, even though it's freezer, refrigerator cold. So I'm good here. Because we don't want to bother to wait. But the parallel, I think, is significant. We don't bother to move from mere knowledge to true wisdom because we do not give the time. We don't give wisdom time. And so when we speak, we speak some half-baked version of wisdom. And that doesn't impress anybody. The whole opening poem in Proverbs gives us this impression that wisdom takes time because it takes time to instruct and time to learn and time to understand and time to solve riddles. It loiters. Now, you may well ask, where do we loiter? What is the 7-Eleven of wisdom? I'm going to kill this analogy, by the way. Can you, see, can you see how pushing it all the way to the end? Where are we hanging out? Where are we loitering? Well, I think the first half of verse 7 answers. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Where do you want to hang out to find wisdom? You hang out with the Lord. You hang out with Scripture. You hang out under the teaching of the Word. We wait and we listen and we learn. Individually and by community, we submit ourselves to the Lord because wisdom is not derived. It is received. Did you catch that? You are not trying to come up with wisdom. You are not trying to write wisdom. You are not trying to derive wisdom. You want to receive wisdom. And when you put yourself under the fear of the Lord, you put yourself in a place of receiving. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. If you take God seriously then you will take gaining wisdom seriously. But you don't have to. You don't have to if you don't want to. You don't have to take God seriously, and you don't have to take wisdom seriously, because the passage tells us that wisdom and gaining wisdom is a choice that you have. The section starts off with the goal is to know wisdom and instruction. That's the first line. The Proverbs of Solomon are to know wisdom and instruction. And then it ends with the fool who despises wisdom and instruction. So there's a bookend there poetically. It starts off with wisdom and instruction. You can gain it. You can accept it. 
and it ends with the fool who rejects it. And so a choice is being laid out to you by the proverbist. And he's saying this whole book, you can take it or you can leave it. Now, he's going to talk all through about the consequences of your choices, and we'll look at those in the weeks to come. But it is your choice. Wisdom is something you need to choose into. We are wise by choice. We have this saying called, this phrase, common sense. You're familiar with this, right? Everyone supposedly has this, which, um, I'm, you know, we think everyone ought to have it. And for the most part, people do. Common sense is what we feel like everybody sort of innately ought to have. But the book of Proverbs does not seem to advocate a sense of common wisdom. It says you've got to choose into wisdom. You've got to look for it. You've got to loiter for it. You've got to wait around for it. You have to receive it or not. If you want to be a fool, you can be a fool. Choosing wisdom can be challenging because, I'll say this rather bluntly, many of our days we are surrounded by fools. And so the peer pressure around us is sometimes relatively low. In other words, we, can, we only need to be a little wise to like outwise these people. Or at least that's how we feel. Not these people. Present company excluded. But you know that sometimes we are surrounded by such foolishness that the decision to be wise can be a hard one. It's easier just to be quiet. And when we're quiet, we lose our voice. And so we must choose into wisdom. But this isn't just a personal choice. It is a social choice as well. We as a community choose into wisdom. If you look at this whole section, really when we look at the whole book of Proverbs, we're going to see that it's oriented around a teacher or a father giving advice to a student or a son. That's sort of the setup um, structurally of the book. And even at the beginning, we see Solomon is giving advice. So there's this idea of there's a teacher and there's a learner. And this is wisdom community. It's the idea that wisdom is shared. You share wisdom with me. I share wisdom with you. You're the teacher. I'm the teacher. We share with one another this idea of wisdom. The healthiest churches, the healthiest Christian communities, the healthiest Christian ministries will be ones that give and receive wisdom. And that's because wisdom is for everyone. In verse 4, we see sort of the expected audience of the Proverbs, and that is it gives prudence to the simple. And we read that and we go, well, of course, the simple need wisdom. We get that. But in verse 5, it also says, let the wise hear and increase in wisdom. See, wherever you find yourself on these scales of wisdom, you still need it. You need wisdom. Whether you're simple or wise, you need wisdom. Actually, interestingly, the text seems to imply that the wiser you are, the more you understand that you need wisdom. The wise know they need wisdom. It's the simple that we have to convince. 
Well, there's actually another group we have to convince. Proverbs talks about another group who already thinks they're wise, but he doesn't call that group wise. He says they are the proud. There's the simple. And in Proverbs, the simple can still learn wisdom. But the proud have decided they are already got it, and there's no talking to those people. So we want to be people that understand we need wisdom no matter where you are on the scale of wisdom. And so we can always be giving and sharing and being a community, a fellowship, a friendship of wisdom. And I think this is where part of where wisdom has its revolutionary power. Let me close here by suggesting how. In economics, there is something called the zero-sum exchange. This is an economics or game theory. And it's pretty simple. The zero-sum exchange means that there is a finite amount of something, and when I share it with you, I now have less of it and you have more. So this isn't rocket science. Unless you're an English major, then you've spent the week studying for this moment. <laughs> so if I have, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to dumb it down for me. Um, If I have a grilled cheese sandwich, and I cut it in half, and I give you half of my sandwich, there is still a full grilled cheese sandwich, but I am now one half less, I have one half half less of grilled cheese than she has. I have lost in order for her to gain. You follow? So it's a zero-sum exchange. There is no more grilled cheese produced in this exchange. I lose grilled cheese. She gains the grilled cheese. I like grilled cheese. Which is why I wish grilled cheeses were like wisdom, which is a positive sum exchange. A positive sum exchange is when I give you something, but by giving it to you, I don't lose any of it myself. This is wisdom. When I share wisdom with you, I don't become less wise. You just become more wise. And therefore, the the amount of wisdom has increased. Do you see? So when we share wisdom with one another, we are not slicing up a finite pie of wisdom and slicing thinner and thinner slices to each other. Somehow, by sharing wisdom, the pie of wisdom grows and grows and grows and grows until you have revolution. And so if we are people who love God and fear God, then we will be people who pursue wisdom and share wisdom and experience the potential growth of wisdom, not just in our community, but in every community that you touch, your workplace, our city, your neighborhoods, your families. And by embracing wisdom and sharing wisdom, we might just start a revolution. Let's pray together. Lord, we're so thankful for this book of Proverbs. We're thankful for the practicality of it that we'll experience so much in the weeks to come. But we're also thankful for the profound power that wisdom seems to have 
And not only does it have this profound power, but it is made accessible to every one of us. No matter how simple we may feel, no matter how inadequate we may feel, you offer wisdom to us. And so I pray, Lord, this morning that on this, particularly in these weeks to come, we will be a community that embraces and chases and loiters around wisdom so that we might be part of a revolution of your kingdom in this community. We pray that you would make it true. In Jesus' name, amen.